Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. And let me just tell you, I have uh, been teaching on prayer for a long time. I'm, I'm much more of a teacher than I am a preacher. See, your pastor is a preacher, I am a teacher. So if I tell you I'm excited, just take my word for it, because uh, this is as fired up as I'll be getting right now. I'm on a roll right now. Somebody stop me. But um, we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 1. And in verses 1 and 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke at many times. He spoke in different ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So the scripture says God has spoken in various ways at various times. And I believe God still does that today. I think there's different ways that the Lord speaks to us as individuals. Now, I usually hear the Lord because I have been in prayer over something rather than hearing God in the midst of my prayer time. I have friends that seem to hear God while they're praying. I'm pretty envious of them, but I'm not one of those guys. I, I may find myself, uh, maybe I've been praying about some kind of issue and find myself driving down the road and suddenly I'll hear something on the radio or I'll see a billboard or something and something just clicks that that, that thing is in response to what I've been praying about and, and it's the Lord speaking to me through various means. And you know, we know that God speaks through his word all the time. He can speak to us through dreams and visions and all that stuff, but how you hear God isn't really the issue. Uh, the issue is what you do with what you hear. So we're going to go over to chapter 3 of Hebrews, in verses 7 and 8. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. So it says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Excuse me, I've got to make sure my phone's on, on vibrate because I'd hate to be the speaker and have my phone go off. You know. In my church, we encourage people to leave their phones on, and then we developed a ringtone that said, praise the Lord. So that while I was preaching, it just would encourage me a lot. A lot of pra praise God going on. I always felt better about my messages that way. So this is referring to Israel's wilderness wanderings through the desert and how they hardened their hearts. And he's saying, don't do like they did. Don't, don't do what they did during the rebellion. Well, if you know that account, uh, before they got into the wilderness, uh, Moses was trying to free the Hebrew children from Pharaoh's grip. And of course, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And at one point, it says in that account, you could read it from Exodus chapter 7 uh, to chapter 11 is the, the account of the plagues that they went through and all that. At one point it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
You know, I was reading that and I thought, that doesn't seem fair. If God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then what choice or chance did Pharaoh have of doing anything other than that? I mean, if I get into a battle with another man, I may have a certain chance for victory because I'm just dealing with another man. But if I get into a a battle with the enemy of our souls, I have even a greater opportunity for victory because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, right? But if I get into a battle with God, I have one option. I lose. That's your option. You can fight God, but as long as you understand, you're going to lose because you just don't fight God and win. And so if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it seemed like that Pharaoh wouldn't have had an opportunity uh, to do anything other than what he did. But then I got really looking at the uh, issue. And three times before it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. God gave Pharaoh three opportunities to repent, and, it, and he didn't. He said he wouldn't repent, he, he hardened his heart. So Pharaoh rebelled against God. And rebellion, for lack of a better term, is, is like a hardening agent. When you rebel, you put an ingredient in your heart that has then, or should say, I should say, it causes its own reaction to the presence of God. Um, when I was in Bible college, one of my professors said, if you take a pound of clay and a pound of butter, and I don't know if that's, that to me looks like two pounds of butter, so just take that for what it's worth. But if you take this, you set these two things out underneath a hot sun, one is going to get hard and the other one is going to melt. Not because the sun treated them differently, but because they had their own reaction to the sun based on what they were already made up of. And so when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, I believe it refers to what Pharaoh did when he encountered the presence of God. Or I should say, what happened to Pharaoh's heart when he encountered God's presence. Because of what he allowed in his heart, the presence of God caused its own reaction. See, in this account, you've got the heart of Moses and the heart of Pharaoh. Moses meets God in the desert at the burning bush. And if you remember, Moses really was under a judgment in, in one sense. He was out, he was in exile because he'd killed an Egyptian man and he was paying a price for his disobedience. And so it's not like God was just walking on eggshells around Moses and trying to protect his heart and all that. He was dealing with Moses. But when he reveals himself to him at the burning bush, Moses' heart melts and he obeys God. Pharaoh's heart hardened. And so it's, it's more of a matter of what we are allowing into us. And that's why Hebrews says, uh, if you're going to hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't let rebellion come into the heart if you want to hear my voice. Well, to explain this better, I'm going to go to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, It says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Those who have ears, let them hear. So in these verses, Jesus is talking about the secrets 
to the kingdom. And he says, I want you to understand mysteries. I want you to understand hidden things. He says, all these things about the kingdom, they're meant to be revealed. I want to open these things to you. Well, my thought was, if Jesus wants me to understand these mysteries, why are they mysteries? You know, why not just tell me? But you know, that's a problem that we have in life, isn't it? I mean, there's things that we would like to know, but nobody can really just tell us. And so, uh, if, if Jesus told us everything we needed to know, without us doing any searching or pursuing, we really wouldn't learn much at all. And when you think of what prayer is, prayer is a searching. Prayer is, you know, God, how, how do I do this? Or why should I do that? Or how is this going to work out? And, and it's, it's a questioning pursuit. It's not bad. It's, it's, we need that direction. And, you know, it's why you know, prayer is asking and seeking and knocking. And so prayer by its nature is searching. And there's something learned in searching that you cannot learn any other way. That's why Proverbs says it's to the glory of kings to conceal a matter and to our glory to search it out. Well, when I was in grade school especially, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my family got saved later. I'll, I'm going to talk about that tonight a little bit, share that testimony of how my whole family got saved. But when I was in grade school, I didn't know the Lord. My mom and dad didn't know the Lord. And so they were not uh, watching over my grades the way, typically, uh, the way typical Christian parents watch over their kids' education, all that stuff today. In fact, I remember when I would get my report card, because we had report cards back there. They were physical things. And uh, the teacher would always write a note on the bottom saying, Ron could do better if he would just try. Well, knowing that always satisfied me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I was pretty content with my potential. You know. I thought, why prove to the teachers what they already know about me? You know. Yeah. So my thought was, you know, wouldn't it be great if the way the system was set up is on the day of tests, the teacher comes by and puts the test on your desk and goes around to all the students and and then comes by a second time and gives you the answer key. So you just have to transfer you know, information from one sheet to the other. Thought, how nice would that be? It'd save you the, the neck cramps you can get in taking tests, you know. <laughs> Figuring out if your neighbor knows what they're doing. Um, so if we knew that, if we knew they were going to give you the answers, what would we quickly learn? We'd learn... You don't have to study. They're going to give you the answers. The guys would learn that right off the bat. You know, they, they're going to give you the answers. We're not going to study. The girls would learn it just as quickly, but they would still study because that's the right thing to do. But the guys would know you don't have to. They're going to give the answers. So what if you could uh, go all through school, ace every test, pass with flying colors, and never learn anything? And then later find out, in life, later in life, you need brain surgery. And so you're laying on the operating table and you look up and the surgeon who's about to cut you open is a kid you went to school with and he never studied either. <laughs> all of a sudden you see the value in searching and studying and, and all these things. Well, 
there's, God wants us to know these mysteries, but they're mysteries. And so he says, uh, let he who has ears to hear, hear. Now he's not talking about these physical appendages on the side of our heads. He's saying, if you have the kind of heart that can hear God, then hear what I'm saying. Because God speaks to the heart. You think a deaf person can hear God? They can hear God as clearly as anyone can. Because it's not these physical things he's talking about. He's saying, do you have the kind of heart that can hear God? So continuing in verse 24, Mark 4, 24, right after saying, you know, take heed when you hear something, it says, consider carefully what it is you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Well, he starts off talking about hearing. And he says, when you hear me, consider that very carefully, because with the measure you use, it is measured back to you, and even more. And that little phrase, with what measure you use, is referring to your response to what you hear. So basically what it's saying is this. When you hear God speak to you the first time, that which will determine how much you hear God the second time will be the measure of your response to what you heard the first time. When God speaks to you, the measure of your obedience comes back to you, and then there's an increase. So when I hear God speak to me the first time, if I will obey God, I'll hear him a second time, but I'll hear more. And if I obey him a second time, I'll hear him a third time, but I'll hear more. And he's talking about sharpening our ability to hear through our obedience to what we hear. And our obedience speaks to the condition of our heart. Those who have right hearts obey God. Those who don't, rebel. And so when I, when I obey, not only do I hear a second time, but there's a growth, there, and even more, it says, you'll get more. It's, it's, it's like anything you've sharpened your, uh, you, oh, I should say this way, anything you have done consistently, you sharpen your hearing in it. Um, verse 25 says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, under this principle, those who have, have because they respond. And because they respond, they get more. Those who do not have, do not have because they will not respond. And from their lack of response, they lose even what they had. Now, he's talking about, in the context here, he's talking about being able to hear God. So it's, it's not like God has chosen some people to be spiritual giants and others to have nothing, you know, spiritual paupers. It's that every one of us have the same opportunity to be obedient to God. And our obedience determines our hearing. You know, most ministries begin this way. Most people in the ministry, full-time ministry, will tell you that they begin to hear something and they begin to respond to that something. And the more they responded, the more they heard that thing. And eventually it became a life calling uh, in their, in, within them. If you have 
done anything consistently, you sharpen your ability to hear. My family uh, has always been a car family. We used to race cars. I used to race cars. Uh, all sorts of things about cars. But primarily uh, German cars. My dad was the first BMW dealer in South Dakota when, when they first started to import uh, BMWs in 1967. And we worked on Volkswagens and Porsches and all those things. In fact, that's, that's probably why I traveled 20 years before I became a pastor, because with my German background, being a pastor, I thought I'd be referred to as a German shepherd. And uh, <laughs> most folks think I'm dogmatic enough already. So. But pastoring has literally given me a new leash on life. <laughs> but when my family got saved, uh, my dad, my brothers, we all, we all worked to, at the shop there. And so we turned that garage into a Christian garage. Do you know how you do that? You take down the old calendars and you put up brand new ones. I don't know if you know what that means, but go to our garage and look for calendars and then, and then repent. <clears throat> well, at one point I was uh, running the parts department and a lot of times the customers, as they were getting their cars worked on, they would stand at the counter there and, and wait for their cars. And, and in those early days, we were just witnessing to everybody. We were all excited about what Jesus did in our family, and so we were witnessing a lot. But one day there was this colonel from Ellsworth Air Force Base, because I grew up in Rapid City, uh, and he was standing at the counter. And to me, he was a very intimidating guy. He was a big, tall guy, colonel. He's in his full-dress uniform, driving a Porsche, and he was waiting for his car to work on, get worked on. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, share your faith with him. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I... I don't even know what to say to a guy like that. He's smart, and, and I don't know much about what happened to me yet. And, and so I just, I didn't. I didn't share my faith. I'm not, that's not, that's nothing I'm boasting about. But what, you, what I find is, you know, the, the more you respond, the more you hear. But if you don't respond, you stop hearing. And it would seem like today, in America especially, the average Christian can be walking through a crowded shopping mall in the middle of Christmas season, rubbing shoulders with all sorts of people who don't know Jesus at all, and never once do we hear Jesus say, share your faith. And it's not that he's not saying it. It's, it's from the lack of doing it. We just can't hear it. That's why he says, if you have the ears that can hear, hear what God is saying. And when you hear that, be very careful, because the measure of your response to what you hear is what comes back to you and with growth. You know, uh, speaking of my hometown, in 1972 there was a flash flood that came through the, the Black Hills. Rapid City sits in the foothills of the Black Hills and uh, we had a, a pretty serious storm. And these are some photos from that actual event. About 14 inches of rain came in the first hour of that storm. And that caused a whole bunch of the creeks to overflow and come into what was called Canyon Lake. 
the dam burst and went through our city and 250 people drowned. It was so, so quick and unexpected when all those creeks flooded. Now, do you call them creeks here or, or cricks? That's different, different parts of the country. Creeks? Okay, creeks. That's what I figured, because crick. Crick is the sound a Japanese camera makes when you push the button. We had a customer who bought a house along what was called Rapid Creek. And he said after they moved in there, every time it would storm and they'd hear the waters rushing, they'd get up and look because it sounds so bad. But his house was situated with the, the creek that would, it would bend around his house, but the flow of the water was out away from the house. So he said even, even though in the bad storms, uh, it never did overflow its banks, so we begin to just tell ourselves, we don't have to respond to this. Well, that's a principle. I mean, you fail to respond, even what you had, you lose. It's like people who live by airports or railroad tracks. You know, you learn certain things you don't have to listen to anymore. Well, the night of the flood, this principle is still in place. And though this time the waters did overflow their banks, they didn't hear anything. The next morning he woke up and he knew something was wrong. He looked out his window, couldn't believe what he saw. Went around to every window of his house, came back into his bedroom with his wife and said, honey, I don't know what's happened, but every one of our neighbor's homes are gone. There's not a house standing. Now that, that alone would be pretty hard to believe, but what really happened was this. As the waters came around their house, it lifted it off its foundation. Because they found out later that several homes that floated down the creek were built without anchor bolts. And so it was lifted off its foundation, floated down, and was sitting in the middle of a baseball diamond, thinking everybody else got washed away. Well, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's the kind of sleep only a waterbed can give you, apparently. When I was a kid, I used to have a little alarm clock, a wind-up alarm clock. And for you young people, this is what they used to look like. There's, life was rough back then. We had, to, we had to physically do things. I'd have to have a snack at night just to be able to wind that thing up. But uh, about 10 seconds before the alarm would go off, a little hammer inside would just drop. You hear this little click, and you knew the alarm was going to go off pretty soon. Well, I learned that if I would, when I heard the click, if I would respond to it, if I'd reach out and hit the button, I could save myself the loud alarm. Well, by responding to that click, I got to where that click would wake me up. I could wake up out of a sound sleep on that little click. Well, <clears throat> if you don't respond to the click and the alarm goes off, and then you respond to the alarm, that's good, it's done its job. But some people won't respond to the alarm. You know, the alarm goes off, they put their pillow over their head and say, I shall not be moved. And uh, with time, the alarm can no longer awaken you. And not because the alarm has grown, grown weaker, <clears throat> but your ability to hear it has dulled because of the failure to respond. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have some throat issues going on. Uh, and so it's, it's the response. If... You know, as long as we're talking about alarm clocks, that's all well and good. But if we apply this spiritually, 
It makes a big difference. What if there are things that God has been trying to say to you for a long time that you have ignored for so long that now you absolutely cannot hear it? You just can't hear the voice because of no response. Then it's kind of serious. You know, others may be able to hear it and even warn you and say, hey, should you be doing that? And, you know, your response is, yeah, no big deal. Uh, that can happen also. I have another brother who's in the ministry, and he's worked a lot with the American Indians, worked on several uh, Indian reservations and churches. And in one of the settings, the son of the chief got saved. And, and this is a big deal within the community, if you understand that culture at all. Uh, when any of them converts, that's a big deal. But when it's the son of the chief, he wasn't a boy. He was a growing man. He had a family. <clears throat> because he thought, you know, this guy can have the potential really affecting the whole tribe. But the problem was he wasn't a very committed man. He'd go to my brother's church <clears throat> until my brother said something wrong. He'd go to another church so that pastor said something wrong. He'd go back to my brother's church. He just floated around. It just really wasn't having any impact at all. Well, one day my brother sat him down and said, I need to talk to you about something God's been showing me. And he gave this guy a warning that, you know, if you, if you just get some consistency, God wants to use you and all this stuff. And the guy just kind of blew it off. It was about two months after that that about 2 o'clock in the morning, a knock comes on my brother's door, and word comes to him that this man's son was just killed that night in a drunken car accident. So Barry got up and got dressed, went to the house, said the, the lights were already on, people were already gathering in there. He said when he walked in the house, when the father saw him, he made a beeline to my brother. And he said, you knew this was going to happen, didn't you? And Barry said, yes. And he said, why didn't you tell me? He says, I did tell you. And he says, yeah, I know you told me. But why didn't you take a two by four and smack me over the head until I could hear you? Because at that point, hearing God was the most important thing in that man's life. And all he was saying is, if I'd have heard God, maybe I could have done something to avert this. I'm not trying to say that all premature deaths are because somebody is not listening to God. I'm just talking about this situation where a warning had been given and it wasn't heeded at all. What is more, what is more critical to us than our ability to hear God? Mom and Dad, what's more important to you than what, what God has to say about your children? What's more important than what God has to say about your marriage, your jobs? You know, outside of our salvation, I think hearing God is the most critical thing in our lives. We all want to hear God more. Well, the great thing about this little principle is it's not based on something mystical where I've got to kind of somehow get out there and, and grab some kind of uh, you know, information. This is all based on relationship. Today, if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Uh, the heart condition relates a lot to our ability to hear God. And when the heart condition is right, we obey. And when we obey, we hear more. And it just continues to grow. That's a good thing, isn't it? 
I don't think God brings anybody within the hearing of any kind of message only to say to them, well, it's too late for you. God has you here today because it's not too late for you to turn it around. Because some people say, well, I listen for God. I, I never hear God. Well, take the word of God. Start in the word of God. And just read that until it speaks to you. And when it speaks to you, do that. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.